Hello, party, party people. Welcome to You Scared of the... You know what? If we don't have it right by now, we're never going to get it. Let's let's just re-rack that. Clack. Hello, party people, and welcome to You Scared of This, a weekly podcast in which two grown men watched every single episode, be it the original series, the revival, the second revival, even the fan-made episode. <laughs> Are of you afraid Nickelode- of the dark, the New Testament? Are you afraid <laughs> of the dark, the Dead Sea Scrolls? There was that time when they made new Are You Afraid of the Dark and everyone hated it, so Nickelodeon went back to the original formula. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. We are You Scared of This. I'm Eli. With me is my best friend, Dykus. Dykus, how are you? Uh, a lot of a lot of big feelings tonight, Eli, as we go into this grand finale for the Are You Afraid of the Dark revival. Yeah. Uh, for sure. <laughs> how are you feeling? I'm feeling really good about this. And I don't know if that's because I've left the door open and not declared my retirement, or because it can be if I want it to, like, maybe I will. (laughs) Like, I feel pretty good right now. Well, I'm taking a big stick and drawing a hard line in the sand. This is it for me. How does that feel? Probably. (laughs) Uh, you know, do we want to save this for the end or should I just talk about it now? Um, let's, let's save it. We, let's, we can do all of our navel-gazing once we've closed the book on this series. Uh, before that, I want you to know, very importantly, I've not looked up any Nick news. Well, the joke's on you, Eli, because I have some Nick news. We didn't plan this! <laughs> it's not, okay, it's not really Nick news. I'm gonna stop the music. I'm going to do an uncharacteristic plug for something on our show. Weird. Go on. If you're out there in in podcast land, uh, weeping and vesting your garments over the end of You Scared of This, I put those garments back together, reattach your hair to your head. Uh, I recently came across a YouTube channel that I've been sharing with you, Eli, called mm-hmm. Pop Arena. And I would encourage any of our listeners to check it out if you're into old Nickelodeon. Uh, Pop Arena has a... They cover a lot of content, but they have a series right now called Knickknacks, in which the the guy who runs the channel is examining every single show that has ever aired on Nickelodeon. Ambitious. And starting from, like, 1979 onwards, from before it was even called Nickelodeon. Uh, it is a fascinating series, and I, I know next to nothing about that era of Nickelodeon. That was all before my time. It's made me really excited to learn more about it. Uh, so if you're into that kind of thing, if you want to know the history of stuff like shows like You Can't Do That on Television and Lassie <laughs> and <laughs> Bell and Sebastian, uh, definitely check out Pop Arena on YouTube. This is not a paid sponsorship. I seriously just like found it and want people to know about it. Did you know that Lassie was my favorite TV show when I was like two years old? I did not know that. Why Why Lassie? You guys didn't have a collie. I, I, listen, I just thought Lassie was great. I used to go around, you know, in the opening of Lassie, it's the kid on the hill going, Lassie, here, Lassie. I would yeah. just go around shouting sassy because I couldn't say Lassie. <laughs> I bet you were a popular kid. <laughs> that was the beginning of me getting beaten up in western Kentucky, just standing on hilltops going, sassy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call us? <laughs> yeah, that was like uh, probably for a couple of years that and Mr. Ed were my favorite TV shows. 
See, I couldn't. I hated when I would turn on Nickelodeon and see like a black and white show. I was only in it to go to like straight to Toontown or Are You Afraid of the Dark? Well, this was, I mean, we are definitely talking about the 1980s was when I had held these opinions. And shockingly, I owned a black and white television at that time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So everything was in black and white for you. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know any different. We could not have been friends back then, back when you were one years old. (laughs) We couldn't have been friends back then because you were not a border collie. That too. Anyway, uh, yeah, I've watched a couple of the episodes of Knickknacks that you've sent to me. It is great. Highly recommended uh, if you need something to scratch that itch because we're not scratching your itches anymore, folks. Go scratch yourselves. Yeah. So tonight... We are concluding the trilogy of terror that we've been covering these past few weeks. Uh, we're in the third and final episode of Nickelodeon's Are You Afraid of the Dark Revival, entitled Destroy All Top Hats. Dicus, are you excited to see all of these top hats destroyed? I, I told you off mic, I was really expecting this to open this with the exact same shot as The Prestige, <laughs> where we just pan over a field of top hats. And I just wait for those fuckers to, b- to go down. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we've been promised a few things in this Are You Afraid of the Dark revival. One of them, all top hats will be destroyed. If there is a top hat anywhere, it's going down. Two, it's all part of the show. Will either of those promises be fulfilled? Uh, well, we're going to find out. <laughs> um, this title, of course, is a reference to the classic Godzilla film Destroy All Monsters. <laughs> Tell me about Destroy All Monsters, because I know that that is a Godzilla film, because I know you as a person, um, but I know nothing else about it. Well, Destroy All Monsters was a 1968 Godzilla film uh, that was meant to be the finale to the Godzilla series at the time, and so to celebrate that momentous occasion, Toho, the studio, made a movie with ten monsters. (laughs) (laughs) Which actually seems quaint by, like current marvel standards of mashup films it, it was a movie that i remember having to buy from a a bootlegger as a kid and the issues i ordered it from an issue of g-fan before it even had an american release uh it is a crazy movie it has space aliens it has godzilla destroying new york city japanese astronauts on the moon but spoiler alert only one monster is destroyed in it <laughs> is it godzilla it is not man Hopefully, this show will do better by destroying more than one top hat. We'll see. Uh, This episode begins in a flashback at a not-at-all-realistic press conference held by Mr. Top Hat himself sometime in 1944. Yeah, what is the character's name in this? His real name, as we learn, is actually uh, Marcus Cochran. Yeah, yeah. And Marcus is talking to a bevy of reporters who are all asking this unknown man who has never done anything about his new circus that he's opening this is i've look i work in journalism i notice these things i've seen a lot of unrealistic press conferences in movies and on television shows but this has to be the least plausible press conference i think i've ever seen dicus name me one element of this press conference that has not been featured in every other press conference ever just pick one thing at random that you've that you saw in this that you never saw anywhere else. Why is the the ringleader of a carnival holding a press conference and why does anyone care? I guess why is that the thing you chose to list rather than the fact that there is an acrobat doing a backbend on the table 
where Mr. Top Hat is sitting. Because Mr. Top Hat has style. <laughs> I wonder if it's the same backbending lady from the last episode. It is. Oh, awesome. Good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Mr. Top Hat, uh, Marcus Cochran, is talking about how his father never made it and his father was unlucky. And the reason he's opening this circus is because he's going to succeed in the way his father always dreamed he would. He's going to live big and he's going to become known and he's going to do something important. And when he set out to do that, he asked himself, like, what would make my dad proud? And he remembers that his father before he died, told his son about the happiest day of his life when the circus came to town, and that his father left him with only one thing because he was a sad, penniless man. He left him with a mysterious gold coin with a skull and a scorpion on it. <laughs> he left him a pretty cool coin. <laughs> what a weird what a weird origin story for this man, and for it all to be dumped at this press conference. This is a very strange way to introduce his backstory, and it's going to get weirder. A, a reporter asks Mr. Cochran, uh, he questions whether the carnival is safe and if it's ready for customers, but uh, Cochran assures him, yes, it totally, absolutely is. He says he We've... wouldn't risk his good name and sully everything that he's worked for by having the carnival be unsafe. From there, we flash to the present, exactly where we left off last time, where Rachel has vowed to stop Mr. Top Hat. Uh, she calls an emergency meeting of the Midnight Society after school, and the kids... When they arrive, they totally reenact the conversation from the last episode where they notice that, hey, it's weird being here in the daytime. They have no memory of of the the past two episodes worth of events. I love this scene. I love the way she pulls them together and they have no memory of anything. And she convinces them that they have to believe her despite the fact that they don't remember this stuff. Rachel quotes all of them. They're like, wow, I've never been here. And she's like, in the daytime? And they're like, it's more spooky? And they're like, well, how'd you know I was going to say spooky? And she's like, we've all been here before. We've done this before. You were going to kick me out of the Midnight Society. And they're like, I'm pretty sure we would remember all of that. And the part that I really love, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week, the whole Majora's Mask thing. And she's mm -hmm. like, what was Graham's first story? And they're like, oh, it was about a, a leprechaun who drinks blood. She's like, you guys remember everyone's stories. What story did I tell? And they all look confused. And they're like, how can we not remember a story you told us this past week and that's when they realize she's telling the truth they've lost their memories their friends are gone and she convinces them all to join her and that they have to save the day it's a great scene i like that rachel really cuts the bullshit here she completely stops any attempt to question her and is like listen we got to get our shit together here it really like raises the stakes more than i thought like i i, I felt more uh, on board and like intense about what was happening than I would have otherwise. Like this scene really pulls it all together and makes a strong case for like the closing act of this that I thought was really good. At Rachel's house, they managed to track Akiko's phone, which you'll remember was was taken from her by clowns at the carnival. They track it to Idaho, and we learn that it's actually in Rachel's uh, hometown in Idaho. Yeah, what a strange uh, coincidence. Uh, thankfully, Akiko's video that she took, that she and her videographer very candidly took last last episode, uh, has been uploaded to the cloud. So now they have video proof that there was a carnival and Adam was there. Another now, great way of addressing technology, by the way. And now, for the first time in the history of, of television or Western storytelling, someone desperately needs to get to Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> the kids have to convince Akiko's older brother, Hideo, to join them. 
And this scene could have been a little bit funnier because Akiko is like, he's never, ever, ever going to join us. And it needs to just hard cut to him going, yeah, okay. And it doesn't. Like, the timing is a little bit off on this. I liked the dramatic shot we get of Hideo when we were introduced to him. That is funny, but it should have been like a pregnant pause and then him being like, okay, let's go. They convince him using the video. They show him again that, yeah, Adam is there. So And they all hop in his police car. He's going to chauffeur with him straight to the carnival. Uh, Not we straight get to a the carnival. Bit. They have to make a detour. Well, we get this little miniature road trip montage here, which I really liked, where we see... All the members, the remaining members of the Midnight Society are, like, bickering and bantering with one another. This was a very sweet moment, but eventually Hideo has to take a whiz. Yep, he's gotta pee, and he pulls over at a, like, roadside rest stop. Um, we need to talk about this scene. <laughs> this yeah, is, yeah, we, yeah, we do. Uh, Hideo goes in... Hideo goes into this this filthy restroom, and just as he's about to whip it out, he, he hears some spooky voices. And then, all of a sudden, scorpions... More scorpions than you can ever imagine in one place. More scorpions Eru- than Hideo could shake his stick at. Erupt from the toilet, from the sink, from the urinal, everywhere, and swarm him. The length of time that they hold on Hideo standing on a bench screaming as scorpions crawl up towards him is kind of crazy. Like, right as the scene was ending, I was going, if we start to see his body, like, swarmed by scorpions, this is maybe gonna, like, cross a threshold of scariness. And then instead, I was surprised that the scorpions climb up on the screen and, like, cover the camera, and that's when the scene yeah. cuts away. I thought this, this was re- very well done. This reminded me a little bit of the spider scene in the Scary Stories movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a but, lot like that, actually. But a, a different take on it, and yeah, this is an awesome set piece here. After about 15 minutes, they realize something has to be wrong. Uh, Specifically 14 minutes. It's been 14 minutes. He had to go really bad. No one has to go that bad. He should eat more fiber. Akiko reluctantly goes in to check on her brother, and instead she sees Mr. Tophead in the mirror holding Hideo hostage in a pretty good mindfuck moment. The kids almost turn on Rachel again after this, but they get over it, and Graham reluctantly takes over driving duties and drives them... Uh, into Idaho. Because he has his learner's permit, and he drives, like, 20 miles under the speed limit. The kids reach the carnival gate, and as they're trying to form a plan, they are immediately caught by Bartholomew, the giant, hulking, one-armed man who is, uh, I guess, Mr. Top Hat's hype man, you would say? Yeah, he explains to the kids that he's trapped in the carnival as well, and that Mr. Top Hat needs to be stopped. He says he has to be destroyed. Yeah, yeah, and he's so like, they, you kids gotta do this. And so they all gather in a circle in the traditional style, and in a, a pleasantly un- unexpected twist, Bartholomew tells his story. Yeah, yeah. He cuts, we get a flashback as Bartholomew tells the tale of Mr. Top Hat, basically. And we learn that when the carnival opened, uh, Mr. Top Hat actually did sort of skimp on the safety measures because they were behind a deadline and they were running low on money, and he didn't test every ride. And sure enough, a Ferris wheel collapsed and killed a shit ton of people. It killed an entire family, save for one daughter. And we, after after this tragedy, uh, we cut to Mr. Top. Well, I guess Mr. Cochran drinking his sorrows away when he is approached by a, a mysterious figure. And now we're really getting into more out there ter- territory than I was expecting. <laughs> Yeah, this was, if you had asked me to place bets on things, you remember when we predicted how the seventh Harry Potter book would go, and it was like this absurd Deadpool? Yeah. (laughs) 
And it was like everyone was trying to come up with the craziest shit they could. <laughs> That's what if you had asked me to predict who was going to be behind Mr. Top Hat, it would not have been the devil himself. <laughs> we see a, a, a faceless figure. He's back to the camera. Sit down opposite Mr. Top Hat and offer him a deal. And he and this man, of course, is Satan. How do we know it's Satan? I listen. Marcus Cochrane. You got the wrong guy, Mister. I never got the wrong man. We, the, the devil offers Mister Top Hat a newer, bigger carnival in exchange for his soul. And yeah, we get a really funny moment where the kids call this out before it happens. And Bartholomew is completely, like, flabbergasted and demands, How did you know that? (laughs) That made me laugh really hard. Yeah. (laughs) Satan offers Mr. Cochran eternal youth uh, as long as he uses the carnival to, I guess, travel around the country collecting souls. Yeah, I assume that every kid that gets kidnapped works in the carnival until they die. And then once they die, they go, for once, we can say it definitively. Yep. Straight to hell. Straight to hell. It's like it was written just for us. But Beelzebub offers Mr. Top Hat a warning that one day a child will be his own undoing. Which, now now we have a prophecy story on our hands, which is, which is great. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk about that at the end. Uh, Bartholomew warns the kids that by the end of the night, either Rachel's going to be dead or Mr. Top Hat's going to be dead, and delivers one of the most ludicrous lines in the series. The hat is the source of power. An actor was paid to say that. <laughs> like, at this point, sure, whatever, why not? Everything it's just, else you Bartholomew, said is silly. the actor playing him is so intense all the time. Did you get, like, a, uh... A, a sort of Aaron Tager, like, Dr. Vink vibe off of this guy? Yes, yeah. I thought that when he first appeared. He has that same, like, flair for the dramatic. They look At first I thought it was too. actually him until I took until I thought it was Aaron Tager until I uh, remembered that Aaron Tager is, is no longer with us, and I focused my eyes for a fraction of a second and saw it wasn't. Also, did you notice that the house, the, like, abandoned ramshackle house in the background during this scene has, like, two windows visible, depending on the camera angle, and for some reason, spray-painted on those windows are a very 90s-looking alien and a, like, flying saucer. I did not notice that. Is that our random observation? It's, it's pretty random. I guess it's the most random thing we're going to get in this episode. Uh, it's just a weird, quirky, like, it must have already been there, I guess? I don't know. It's very strange. Anyway. So with Bartholomew as their new accomplice, they plan a heist. They're going to steal the top hat, destroy it with fire... And Bartholomew gives them a whole map to the carnival so they can go about their plan. Uh, that night, they sneak in using their awesome Midnight Society masks. They give Rachel her mask. It's very cool. Uh, Rachel and the other kids split up. The kids dash off to the main, like, uh, the trailer that controls all the power, and they turn off the power to create a distraction. Uh, but suddenly, before they can escape, they are confronted by Hideo in c- creepy clown makeup. And their yeah, schoolmate He's, he's Adam, been turned who- into a juggalo. <laughs> He absolutely has. <laughs> woot woot. And he's yeah, whoop whoop. He's there with Adam, their missing friend. Meanwhile, Rachel sneaks into Mr. Top Hat's trailer and uses the ma- the rad uh magical coin in a hole in the wall. And suddenly the wall opens up, it reveals this hidden chamber with Gavin inside. And Gavin has been brainwashed and starts talking shit to her. Yeah, he's telling her how she's gonna fail and how it's never gonna work. And he's, like, in utter blackness, and she walks through 
Mr. Top Hat's chamber into the blackness uh, to confront Gavin. And she's like, how do you know all of this? Like, what, you know, what are you saying? And that's when shit hits the fan. That's when the lights come on. Suddenly, she's no longer in the trailer. Rachel is now in the middle of the big top tent, and Mr. Top Hat is right behind her. Yeah, he walks out, uh, Bartholomew is there, and that's when we learn the twist that I actually kind of liked. He reveals to her that uh, all of this was a very obvious trap, because Bartholomew and he have been friends since the beginning. We cut back to the flashback with, like, you know, old Jack Scratch or whatever, uh, where Mr. Top Hat is first becoming Mr. Top Hat, and the camera pans just down the bar a little bit, and Bartholomew is there listening to the whole deal. Like, apparently he agreed to this immortality thing as well. And then the next big twist hits us. Why she remembers all of this stuff. Oh, and, yeah. And what we learn, you know, her connection, which we talked about in the last episode, was her connection to all of this. We see a clip of Rachel's story that she told to get into the Midnight Society of the little girl with her mom and dad who goes to the Carnival of Doom and then two of her friends disappear. Uh, and like midway through the the scene of the little girl from the story, the girl turns into Rachel. And Mr. Top Hat's like, that was you. You, you told that story. You talked uh. about this girl who came to the carnival, experienced all of this, and then slowly, over time, she forgot. That's why that character did not have a name. Yep. So Rachel's story was her repressed memories and her dreams that she had in the opening of the first episode also repressed memories. She had experienced all of this once before and somehow it stayed with her and somehow she remembered it. And Mr. Top Hat realized that he knew he had to lay a trap for her so that he could defeat her before she had a chance to defeat him. And then after that, we get what arguably an equally big twist. (laughs) He tells her for seemingly no reason that, no, the top hat is not the source of his powers. It is, in fact, his cane. Why did we need the lie about the top hat? It lasts for all of, like, a minute. Why did they call this episode Destroy All Top Hats? There's not even more than one top hat. Oh, man, this this was a big letdown for me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I wanted her to stab a top hat. But there's, but there's no time to get worked up over this, because now that he has Rachel in his clutches, he's going to deal with her the only way he knows how. He's going to saw her in half. He is going to kill her in front of a crowd of people by sawing her in half with a chainsaw. <laughs> yep, Hideo revs up a chainsaw. It's, it is fantastic. <laughs> this would have scared the shit out, like, the literal, actual shit out of me as a child. Nothing fucked me up more than chainsaws. Rachel is bound up, uh, about to be chainsawed to death. Uh, (laughs) That's when she whips out Chekhov's knife from the last episode and frees herself of her bindings and and just steals the cane right from uh, Mr. Top Hat's hands. He wasn't guarding it because he thought she was tied up. She and the other kids, including a bewildered Gavin, who is, I guess, no longer mind-controlled, they all make a run for it. For some dumbass reason, they decide to go into the tunnel of love and just wade through the water. Uh, this scene is completely pointless. It lasts a long time, but it does nothing for the plot. So let's just go through it really quick. We get a really well shot, really scary scene of the kids, like, chest deep in murky water, surrounded by fog, as one by one, they are pulled under by a bunch of robot water zombies. Very atmospheric. This is, you can tell that this was a lot more, this was more about style than substance, but it's very Mm -hmm. stylish. And I 
really enjoyed this scene. All, all of the set pieces in this episode, I will say, uh, deliver in some way, and this one yeah, is no absolutely. exception. But yes, all of the kids are, are abducted except for Rachel, and she hears Mr. Tybet's omnipotent voice over the intercom. And he just tells her, listen, I'm going to kill your friends in three minutes if you don't get your ass out of there and give me my fucking cane back. She goes outside. She and Top Hat have one final confrontation, the big final showdown. Top Hat gives one more uh, sort of tragic monologue. Where yeah, he this lam- scene is weird. <laughs> he laments his existence. He's Like, he's trying to draw parallels between himself and Rachel. We're not so different, you and I, Rachel. We both feel alone. We both want to be noticed. It's a pretty flimsy argument, and it doesn't work at all for even a second. Like, Rachel hears him out, and she says, Nah, man, I'm nothing like you. I have friends, and my life is good. It's all so weird. I thought that this scene was really weak. I do, too. This was... Well, we'll let's come back to Mr. Top Hat at the end, because I have a lot of feelings about him. Rachel, of course, not being an idiot, has no time for this bullshit, tells him no... She remembers suddenly that the cane she has is magic, and when Mr. Tophead orders Bartholomew to go and f- take it by force, she uses it to create a huge shockwave that, does- that knocks down a fucking power line onto Bartholomew, killing him in front of all the children. Yeah, like, he's dead, right? He's definitely dead. He is electrocuted. It is a shocking, no pun intended, it is a shocking, okay, no, no fuck it, I intend the pun. <laughs> it is a shocking scene. Yeah, so uh, murder count the, one. This and and counting. This creates a fire, and Rachel wastes no time. She immediately chucks this cane into the fire, destroying it and causing Mister Top Hat to drop to his knees, age a hundred years in ten seconds, just like in the tale of the mystical mirror. Mm-hmm. And then he finally vanishes into dust Thanos style. <laughs> yeah, shitty CGI, low budget Thanos dust. Oh, this is such a disappointment to me. Like, it's a cool way to go out, but I don't think it looked as good here as it did in Mystical Mirror. No, it's a bad. It's the worst effect in this miniseries. Nevertheless, he is defeated. He's 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 murdered. Just to be clear, we're going to come back to this as well. Rachel has murdered two people in the span of 30 seconds. And everyone uh, comes out and celebrates. Hideo comes out. Adam comes out. They all celebrate. Everyone is freed from his mind control. All is well. The Midnight Society returns home. Uh, we see them all helping Akiko with her next big horror movie. Uh, which is character growth because she doesn't work with friends. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, they Very all are working on the movie. That is a deliberate thing. That is so cool. That's a good comp, uh, good callback. Uh, we see some banter between Rachel and Gavin, and it is hinted that they are in some sort of relationship now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of weird teen wolf thirst happening there. He's dressed as a, as a, a wolf, for, as a werewolf for this movie, and she seems into it, yeah. Yeah, they uh, they have a, a cute little like date moment, and then we cut to um, all of the kids around the campfire. Yeah, we get our last pit of exposition dumping. At the weekly Midnight Society meeting, uh, the group unanimously votes to keep Rachel in. They go ahead and have the vote, and of course, it's just it's just them teasing her. Yeah, the vote was a big sort of, like, point of drama in this episode and last episode, as though they were going to vote her out. Uh, but they don't. They let her stay in, and they talk about how great she is. And then Gavin starts complaining about... 
how hard it's going to be for him to tell his story and to well, tell, oh, well, he, that's right. They tell her that they've done some homework, and it turns mm-hmm. out that Rachel is, as a matter of fact, the great granddaughter of the little girl whose family was killed by Mr. Top Hat way back in the 40s. So that's a random loose thread that was created and resolved in this episode for nothing. Yep, it sure was. But the the kids don't feel that way. Uh, they are all thoroughly impressed by this. And Gavin's like, yeah, how am I going to follow that? Oh, well, here's my story. And he launches into his story, which is... The Return of the Ghastly Grinner. And we are tragically denied this story because before he can start... Adam, the kid who went missing earlier, stumbles out of the woods chasing his dog and discovers the whole thing. And this was the moment where I wanted Rachel to whip out the knife again. Yep. (laughs) That does not happen. (laughs) Rachel instead very dramatically looks at Adam and asks him. So, Adam. Do you like scary stories? Aw, here it goes. (laughs) (laughs) And then King and Kel come out and do their version of the Billie Eilish ass theme song. (laughs) Billie Eilish ass theme song. (laughs) And that is part three, Destroy All Top Hats, the last new episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh my goodness. Where do we even start with this? (laughs) Okay. No, wait. Go ahead. What do you think of this episode? Just to make a long story short here, I thought this was probably the weakest of the three. I, there was a lot I enjoyed about this, but there was a lot in here that frustrated me too. And I'll, I'll we could run down the bullet points here if you want. Yeah, uh, you go ahead and start. Okay, maybe I'm reading too much into this. One detail we skimped over is the fact that in the very first scene, Mr. Top Hat announces that he came to America to live the American dream. Mm-hmm. He is some kind of immigrant. I really want to believe that this show is not trying to say anything about immigrants or immigration, but it's a very weird message to send that the villain is this guy who came to America and immediately fucked up and killed four people due to his negligence and greed. And sold his soul to the devil. And I mean, it sold his soul to the devil. It's such an unnecessary detail. Like, why did he need to be a fucking immigrant? Yeah, I feel like that's just so that they can have, like, a really sort of clean slate origin. Like, his dad was penniless and died in another country, and he came here and was, like, totally reinventing himself. I, but I don't it could, think it was... that could have happened in America, though. That could have happened anywhere. Maybe. I, I think that it's just, like, if you try to make something old-timey, you talk about people's, like, dreams of coming to America and following the American dream. But he has no, he has an American accent, which is good, because if this character had an ethnic accent, that would be very problematic. <laughs> but like, he's kind of like the Chameleon Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> where the fuck did this guy immigrate from? Canada? Yeah. Yes, obviously. Sorry. <laughs> uh, like, Top Hat's, I, I'm, I'm fixating on that, but like his whole backstory here, like we were talking about a minute ago, it's all kind of weak. Like, him selling his soul to the devil is a... A really outrageous twist that I liked, but I don't think this really made Top Hat into the supervillain that I imagined him to be. Like, we either needed more time with this character to flesh him out a little bit more, or less time with him to keep him sort of mysterious and at a distance where you don't know what's going on. But, like, this was, like, just the wrong amount of exposition. 
Yeah, I completely me. agree. It's one of those things where like they focus on the character enough to justify a backstory, but they don't give him enough time to actually like develop and get the backstory that he deserves. And that happens in a lot of TV shows and movies even where characters I mean that really is a, a line that you kind of have to be careful with. And he really never achieves what he should and i think that's because they build him up so much in the first two episodes you know i talked about how despite the amount of time we see him and the number of powers that he seems to have and how stylish he is and the attention given to him we don't learn anything in the first two episodes so it builds up this huge amount of mystery it's a very gabbo sort of thing and (laughs) it just there's no way to pay that off well in one sort of like what 30 minute finale episode i mean he is a bad little boy but (laughs) (laughs) but i completely agree with you that said i actually i like the story itself i like the idea that like he was a carnival operator and his carnival failed and he had aspirations of being amazing so he sold his soul to the devil like fine as an outline for a character that works very well it's just that like all of those beats happen in maybe less than two minutes of actual screen time and it's all in very lazy exposition or narration it's not told in a way that's interesting and we don't have time to really feel for him he's not set up as being like a cool villain for any reason it just it kind of falls flat after all of the promise of two episodes i'm trying to think there was one other thing that i was like fixated on that i can't the top hats oh oh yeah and there was no fucking top hat (laughs) He loses. No top hat he, was destroyed. He doesn't. He takes the top hat off halfway through the episode, and it is never seen again. It's not destroyed. I all I wanted was to see a top hat set on fire. Is that so much to ask? <laughs> if you if you name your episode "Destroy All Top Hats" in the first act, then you have to destroy all top hats by the third act. I wonder if the top hat thing was not like a a rewrite like late in production not late in production but like late in the writing process like at one point in in the story's development maybe the top hat was going to be like the the horcrux and then they switched it to the cane because the logistics of that were better yeah because like that would have been a fun like pun of an episode destroy all top hats you're destroying the literal top hat and you're destroying the guy whose name is top hat okay yeah yeah i think that maybe they just decided that throwing a top hat into a fire was not was not a dramatic enough climax. It seems as though there... I think this is sort of the big problem with this series as a whole, is there are so many stylistic elements that they chose to use, but they never justify, and they never earn. So the coin means nothing. The phrase, it's all part of the show, has no sort of, like, twist significance. There are some good twists in this episode. Like, I, I mentioned that... Bartholomew seemingly betraying Mr. Top Hat and then betraying the kids and it all being a trap and Rachel's story being a repressed memory. Those are like fine twists. The repressed memory thing is very, very good. And it's, you know, I was worried there wasn't going to be a payoff for Rachel's origin story, but they paid it off wonderfully in a way that tied into the first episode. But then there are these other elements like why scorpions? Why the scorpion skull coin? Why does the coin matter? Like why the top hat? Why is he called Mr. Top Hat? There are so many things where they just like chose to do them and chose to give them this false significance that never pays off and never adds to the character's depth in any way whatsoever. They're all superficial, 
sort of surface level kind of what we talked about in the first episode about like he's the germaphobe and and she's the rebel and all of that stuff these like surface level character traits that don't actually apply or mean anything i'm glad you mentioned the it's all part of the show line because yeah that amounts to nothing like there was no significance to it at all and i and that's another thing where i wonder if maybe when they first drafted this story they had something else in mind the way they end this whole thing, I'm I'm glad they didn't go with, like, a, a meta ending, which is what I was afraid of. They end with the tease that, like, oh, Adam's going to join this new Midnight Society, and, you know, maybe if we're lucky, we're going to hear from all these kids again. And that's probably, like, the safest, smartest way to go. But, yeah, it's a little disappointing that, like, that was set up, that was hammered into us over and over again, and nothing. Yeah. So all of those weird problems aside, what did you think of the episode as a whole? There were a lot of things I enjoyed. Uh, Again, all of the set pieces, all of the big special effects pieces here, except maybe the finale, uh, were really well executed. All the scenes with the Midnight Society were really fun. Like, I, I feel like at this point I've actually gotten to know them a little bit and I enjoy their company in the same way that Rachel does. Mm hmm. I forgot to even mention the great, uh, we get some fun banter between Louise and Graham early on where she says, she tells him like, hey, Graham, you know, I really don't mind hanging out with you while you're wearing a mask, (laughs) which sounds like that's either a really sick burn or she's inviting him to do some really, uh, you know what, never mind. Age inappropriate stuff. But yeah, like all the scenes with them, like road tripping and stuff, that's fun. Hideo's a great character in this. Hideo does great as both the you know straight man chaperone on this trip and has, as you said, a juggalo. Yeah. Yeah. I, like there's not a character in this that I don't enjoy. Even Bartholomew and Mr. Top Hat. I just feel like there are wasted opportunities. But the things that do work work incredibly well. So that sort of led me to question while I was watching it. How does this stand as an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? which we've frequently had to deal with, like, imperfect episodes and, you know, things that are good in spite of their flaws. Like, when you actually just compare this to other episodes of the show, how does it how does it come out for you? I mean, this does not feel like an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Maybe more so than the other two. This one feels the least like a traditional Are You Afraid of the Dark episode, despite, you know, the deliberate references and callbacks. I feel like it goes into much crazier territory than Are You Afraid of the Dark ever did, though. Yeah, I mean, it had to sort of straddle the line of being this, like, kids show that pays homage to something we're all familiar with and resolving all of the elaborate promises that it made. And I think it does struggle with that. Um, That said, I think that, like, the sort of cornball lackluster ending is not entirely surprising. It's not out of line with what we've seen. This felt a bit like a David Winning episode to me, where you do have a lot of, like, sort of flashback and exposition and maybe, like, dry stuff, and it's not particularly scary in most of the scenes. And there's these attempts at, like, pathos, and it's sometimes more boring. Yeah, and I think that yeah, that's I fine. See that. I think that's totally fine. No, I still overall enjoyed this episode a lot. I know it's we're focusing on the negatives here, but I still, even if it's it doesn't have the same strengths as maybe the other two, it, this is still a good time. Look, before we view this this whole series in totality, Eli, let's just ask the question: 
All right. Eli, you scared of this? No. I was not either. Uh, it comes very close. This, like we said, the scorpion scene is, is really well done. I, I think since I was expecting so much more from this episode, the scary stuff that is in it is not is not enough for me to give it a a yes. Yeah, there are two moments in the episode that are scary, and that is the chainsaw moment and the scorpions in the bathroom. But the thing about this episode is that more than the other episodes, it makes real and tangible the monsters. And in doing so, it sort of strips them a lot. Uh, it strips them of a lot of the things that actually do make them scary. Once we know who Mister Top Hat is, once we know how to defeat him, once he is a real person with a backstory, he's less of a monster. Like when we first see him, he's prancing through someone's dreams like a carnival-themed Freddy Krueger. He's kidnapping children. Like he's everywhere. He's omnipotent. And there's a lot more to be afraid of when you have like an omnipotent carnival god who's kidnapping children than a sad carnival man who is you know mortal infallible and able to be killed so even though there are a couple of scary scenes in this episode this is the least scary episode in the three-part series i think agreed so with all of that out of the way now that we've analyzed this episode itself What do you think about this sort of trilogy as a whole? What do you think about the 2019 Are You Afraid of the Dark revival? Well, I'm certainly glad it exists, first and foremost. Like, I'm glad we got more Are You Afraid of the Dark. I mean, I can't say that I'm unhappy with how this turned out, because despite some storytelling fumbles, pretty much everything else in this entire series was top-notch. Mm-hmm. I, I like all of the characters. I like the way they're written. I you know I grew to like them some of them more than others. Everything is well acted. The cinematography, like we've said over and over, is is far better than it has any right to be for this to be essentially a made for TV Nickelodeon movie. We've come a long way from Crybaby Lane. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is that that comparison makes this look like Citizen Kane. Even if it doesn't stick the landing, I think everything about this was was really, really well executed, and I, I had a blast watching this. And I, I desperately hope that this does set up, like, more Are You Afraid of the Dark? Whether I end up reviewing it or not, I think this this definitely succeeded in getting me excited about Are You Afraid of the Dark when I, going into it, I wasn't sure if it would. Yeah, I, my biggest concern here is that when this was all said and done, it would have in some way messed up are you afraid of the dark the best comparison i can come up with is the matrix sequels where i loved the first matrix movie and then i loved it less and less as that series went on and the thing that i liked had been forever changed by everything that came after it i was really worried that this was going to change the canon in a way that weakened it and it really doesn't it adds things that are cool and if there are parts of it that you don't like they're pretty forgettable and you can just move on from them. If they made a new series with this cast of kids, the fact that Rachel was the chosen one and had anything to do with any of this would be a footnote in the series moving forward. You know, the only thing that I I think about as kind of weird is the fact that these kids are now going to gather once a week and tell scary stories, despite the trauma and the horror that they've been through and the fact that one of them is a double murderer. Is there anything else... Like, are there any beats that we've missed or anything we want to talk about? The knife, the lack of Gary. 
Right, let's do a very quick Freddy Awards. <laughs> And I mean very quick. Eli, if you had to pick a favorite episode and a favorite character from these three episodes, who and what would you go with? Oh, man. Do I like the second episode better than the first? I think I like the first episode maybe the best. The second one introduces the knife, which is cool, but the first one introduces the masks. The first one introduces so much of the lore about the new Midnight Society. I think I like the first episode the best. And despite my, like, conflicting feelings about her, I think Akiko might end up, after all three, being my favorite character. Wow. I I was going to say the exact same ones. I like the first one for the same reason. Loved all the Midnight Society, you know, ritual and stuff. And yeah, Akiko from the very beginning was my favorite character. She sometimes has bad line delivery, but she also has the best lines in the series. So it's sort of like Jordan taking more shots than anyone else. Yeah. She's the Michael Jordan of this. I'm glad we are in agreement. What did you think of our monster, Mr. Top Hat, aside from his origin story, which sucked, and his death, which sucked? I mean, he's such an effective villain until the series tries to humanize him in any way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When he's just this supernatural child predator sneaking around <laughs> in people's dreams, yes, he is, he is an awesome villain. Like, it's a very distinct visual, even though, like we said, it kind of pulls for some, from some obvious influences. Uh, but no, he's really cool. And the actor, whose name I can't remember offhand, do you remember? Raphael. Raphael Castle, or Casal. That was close. Yeah, uh, he's, he's just yeah. acting the hell out of this character and is a lot of fun to watch. If you ignore some of the clunkier elements of his backstory and his lackluster death, then yes, he's a really cool villain, and I wish I think he deserved a little bit better than what he got, but I liked him. So, with all of that out of the way, we've covered the end of Are You Afraid of the Dark as we know it. They haven't announced anything new. They announced the movie and canceled it. They haven't announced new episodes of this series. For all we know, we can finally close the book. I don't really know what to say here. I feel like all of the big thank yous and shout-outs and emotional stuff that I, I talked about in the final Freddy's last year, it all still applies here. You know, obviously, thank you to everybody who has listened to this show, supported this show, stuck with us through all of our long hiatuses, and thank you to all of our friends and family who saw us through this long and, and at times, very difficult journey. Yeah, it's, it's been great being supported by people who have been very encouraging about what we've done. We really, you know, as we said once long ago, we made this show just because we thought maybe we'd want to do a podcast. And we said, what's something that we don't care too much about that we can put a little bit of time into? And here we are years and years later, uh, all because we've had a lot of like really wonderful support and feedback. And it's been uh, a wonderful experience. It has. I'm, I'm really proud of the work we've done here. That being said... This has taken a lot of energy, and I think I'm ready to, to try a few different things. I, I'll leave this little hint for the viewers. I actually have a YouTube channel up now. I'm not going to tell you where it is or what it's called or anything about it, except it is a channel that currently is just comprised of me playing acoustic guitar in various locations. And just remember, he won't know if I post a link to it on our Facebook page. I won't. <laughs> uh, but I've got some, I've got some new plans uh, going forward, some stuff to keep me busy. Um, Eli... Any hints as to where you're headed after this? 
Um, you know, I, I've talked about wanting, I've talked for a year now about wanting to do another podcast after this one, and if I find the time, I, I've, I've enjoyed doing this, and I've enjoyed, you know, meeting people and doing new things in this way, so hopefully, sometime in the near future, you'll get another podcast out of me. For a while, it was going to be uh, very similar to this one. We recorded some test pilots for different things. Uh, I don't think that those are going to work out in the way that I'd hoped. So everybody just stay tuned. If anything happens with either of us, any new developments, we will share those. I'll share them out on the Facebook page or I'll send them to Bryce or I'll post them on our Twitter. Um, and I guess anyone who's in Austin the first weekend in December can come see a puppet show that I'm writing and directing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you've been telling me about this this puppet show that you have planned. Speaking of destroy all monsters. Uh, but beyond that, it's going to be nice to sort of take another long break before anything else happens. So, you know, in the time between now and whatever we have to announce next, go back and listen to the old episodes. Who knows how long they'll be up? Who knows? Who knows how long With- I'll, I'm going to be willing to pay the $15 a month SoundCloud charge? <laughs> I'll take over someday, I swear. <laughs> And, you know what, I don't want to make any promises, but if Are You Afraid of the Dark does come back, whether it's the movie or TV series, you know, never say never. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But until then, I hereby declare this episode. This Have you scared of this? This series. This, I hereby declare this podcast finally closed. Goodbye, party people. Smoke weed every day. Smoke weed every day.